Welcome to Paradigm Swap. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author and musician. Today we're going to talk about something that I have mulled around with a lot in my head. And I haven't seen a lot of research out there on this particular thing, but I think there's great potential for it. I've begun to do a little bit of my own research, but it, there's, you know, in order to get a really robust uh, study, I, I'm going to need some help with this one. But uh, it's the idea that every vice is the flip side of a different virtue. Now, I'm not talking about the opposite of a virtue. So, you know, meanness is not the flip side of kindness, but meanness might be the flip side of assertiveness or some other uh, virtue. And it's not that vices or, or, you know, negative traits and so forth are a good thing, but rather that they are a virtue gone wrong or misused or abused in some way. Now, in case this is at all confusing, I'm going to take you back to one of the other topics that we've discussed, and that is uh, permaculture design and ecology, uh, kind of putting those together there, or at least the mindset around those, okay? So let's take something that would be considered a vice in the garden, bindweed, everybody's favorite to hate weed, okay? Now, in our county, and possibly in all the counties across the United States, there are ordinances against particular kinds of what they call noxious weeds, and they are illegal to foster, sometimes even to allow in your yard, even though they just grow naturally without any effort. Okay, so this has become such a hated species that it has taken on the role of being illegal <laughs> and not for any uh, health or safety reason. We're not talking about something that someone can smoke or get high or use as a drug in some way or, or even to uh, use medicinally or holistically. Most people are not aware of any good use for bindweed. And though, yes, we could talk about some of its uses, such as basket making or whatever, that's not the point of this. Okay, bindweed is a quintessential vice in the garden. But when you look at it from an ecological standpoint, it actually has some very important purposes. Now, I know this is speaking of Mother Nature as if she is a you know, consciousness of herself that is directing and pointing for things to go this way or that way. And I don't mean for it to come out that way, though that can be very useful. I will say that evolution has guided things to work in a certain way within an ecology. So in any particular location, everything is fulfilling a particular function. And if something steps out of line or gets too far one way or the other, too little of it, too much of it, maybe it's, it's getting in the way of something else's function, nature will usually step in and interfere. Now, many plants out there have a function to 
replenish and refill a degraded location. So, for example, if you have a dirt road that has been driven on for a hundred years and now it is abandoned, okay? Nature does not like to keep things um, barren and sterile. It, it doesn't want to because, and, and, and again, remember, I'm, I'm speaking as if Mother Nature is a consciousness of herself, but ecologically speaking, evolutionarily speaking, there are not many species, if any, that benefit from having locations unlivable. In fact, if something is un, in, unlivable, it is by definition um, deadly to any life form on it. And so as life has evolved and some things have learned to fix areas that are unlivable to make them more livable, then they're better able to perpetuate their species, they're better able to adapt to their climates of various types, and in all of this, I'm going to call that nature's um, effort to recover an area, to make it livable again, okay? There are certain species out there that move in to an unlivable site, or at least a very nearly unlivable site, and they will make it livable. One of those species is bindweed. Bindweed in the wild if you let it go and ignore it and so forth, it will dominate in places where nothing else, very little else at least, can grow, such as that degraded road that has been driven over for a hundred years, so compacted that nothing can penetrate it except bindweed. And so what it will do is it will creep up along the edges where it can thrive, and it will work its way over the top of the soil, that is, remember, hard pan, packed, sun beating down on it, baking it, and so forth, and it will shade it. And the moment it gets the slightest bit of moisture, say dew, or water, uh, rain, or anything like that, that soil will moisten up a little bit, and it will soften. And soil has a way of becoming spongy or porous when it is given a little bit of moisture, and then allowed to dry naturally. It will porify itself, okay? And, uh, and that is what is happening under the bindweed. And once that has happened, the bindweed can dig its roots in deeper and continue to, to um, pioneer out into the road. And by the time it has covered the entire road, the, the entire soil base has become a little more spongy, it holds water a little bit better, and life is able to start moving in. Now, why do I use this example? Bindweed has a function. It has a purpose. It has a use that has served nature for however long it has been around. Now, gardeners hate it because it tries to take over a garden, and it tries to take over a garden because we as gardeners have been trained to make a place barren so that we only have our specific chosen vegetables and giving them enough space for all the growing they will do in their entire lifetime 
And so they will say, space these three feet apart when the plant is only going to get to a foot around for the first several months of its life, in which time there is this soil between that is baking and that is compacting and that is being conditioned to become sterile. And nature does not like sterile soil or sterile sand or or dirt, any of it. It will try to move in. And so the bindweed will come in and it will move in hardcore. If you ever want to see bindweed in a way that isn't so invasive, watch how it behaves in a forest where there is a mature system of of plants and so forth. It grows. It does its vining thing. It'll continue to try to take over any, you know, really hard pan packed areas and revive them. And it will also be in more lush places, but it will be not a monster, but rather a simple vine climbing its way up the side of trees, up the side of branches and and bushes fairly harmlessly. It gets along with everybody else when it's like that. It's when it is disturbed soil that has been made to become sterile, mostly because of our lack of knowledge of how soil works and what it does, but it's acting, doing its part and moving in and trying to fill that soil. Now, it has many other uh, functions as well. That's not its only purpose, but this is an example here that we're talking about. So we see bindweed in the garden as a vice. And if you understand the principle of ecological function, then you realize that well, bindweed is just trying to do what it's supposed to do. It's trying to fulfill a function. And we don't need to hate it because of that function. There may be uh, places where... Uh, We don't want it to fulfill that function there, (laughs) and that will always be the case. But here's the point, and where we will start bending back to um, the attributes aspect. But where there is bindweed, there is a need. And that need is something that is met by the bindweed. If you do not want bindweed there, figure out what the need is, And then put something there that fills that need just as effectively or more effectively than the bindweed does. You do that and you'll find that the bindweed will play quite nicely. It'll just take up a background role, just kind of wandering and looking for any areas that really need a good de-sterilization, if you will. Now, our vices, those parts of us that that are negative or destructive in our lives, are fulfilling a function. And we have to find out what that function is in order to be able to uproot uproot them properly. Because what often happens is we'll take something like, let's just say anger, for example. You have an anger issue. And so you deal with the anger by trying to, I don't know, meditate, trying to do things that are very anti-anger focused. And those things can certainly help, and they can help you to cope with anger when it comes and so forth. But if you can get at the root of what the real anger is, then I think you'll find a lot more um, possibilities for overcoming the actual problem. 
So let's just say, for example, that you dig in and you realize that every time you're angry, it's because there are children around. And you dig deep and you think, why do I get angry just from having children around? And maybe you grew up in a home where your parent or, or you know, your caretaker was an incredibly angry person. And you associate, you know, you learn to associate grown-ups with angry people. And somehow that rubbed off on you and became kind of a habit, so to speak. Now that may be the root of where it came from, but why did it stick? What function is it fulfilling? Now maybe you are having a very difficult time trying to um, be the adult that you feel like you should be. Maybe you're really struggling with responsibility. You're really struggling with adulting, so to speak. And you kind of shrug off a lot of responsibilities because you feel inadequate to them. And then when it comes to coming across children, your, your mind is maybe compensating by saying, oh, well, adults are angry and I really need to be an adult. So I get angry. In that particular case, the anger is fulfilling the role of feeling like a responsible adult. Now, obviously, it's doing a terrible job of it because that's not a responsible adult thing to do. But that's not the point. The point is, is that the anger keeps happening because it is fulfilling that role. It makes you feel like this grown-up person in some way. And because you feel that, the function is being fulfilled, even if it is destructively and so forth. Now, what if you were to stop and look at that and say, okay, so I have been using anger to try to feel like a responsible adult. It sounds goofy, but that's me. This is what it is. This is the function that it's filling, filling to helping me to feel like a responsible adult. Now, what is something that you can put in its place to fulfill that same function? What would make you feel like a responsible adult? What about getting a good job that you, that you do well at? Perhaps one of the reasons you find yourself getting so angry is because you don't do well at your job and you're constantly being belittled at your job, making you feel less and less like a responsible adult. And in that case, perhaps getting out of that job would go a long way in preparing you to be able to start feeling like a responsible adult. Or perhaps you volunteer at a local organization, say a library or even a soup kitchen or whatever, in order to provide some service. Because service is something that gives a sense of responsibility and love in a way that is n totally non-destructive. Now, for some people, that might work. Others, maybe not. But the point is, is to find the function that your vice fills and learn to replace it with something that fills that function better.
Now that may take some poking around and trying stuff and experimenting to figure out what the uh, actual function really is because maybe you're thinking that uh, it's your that the anger is in reaction to you know this need for feeling like a responsible adult but maybe it's actually something else entirely maybe it is covering a deep sense of insecurity many people will get angry be- when they feel insecure simply because they if they're if they're angry they feel powerful and that's understandable because that fire inside is is I wouldn't say empowering, that's not a, the right word for it, but it does take away a level of fear, and it does take away a level of inhibition. That, uh, And sometimes that inhibition, while generally healthy, that inhibition can sometimes feel like a, an example of that insecurity. And so if I'm feeling insecure about something and I'm getting angry because I am insecure Maybe I need to figure out why I feel insecure. And maybe I need to figure out what would give me a better sense of security. What role I could take on that would give me a better sense of security. Now, it would be so convenient for the purpose of of this exercise to be able to just say, you know, that all anger is the flip side of insecurity and all passive aggression is the flip side of a strong sense of diplomacy. But it's not that simple. For different people, and sometimes even at different times in a person's life, different vices may be symptoms of different things. But that doesn't mean that the the, uh, principle doesn't always apply. It does. It just may apply to different things at different times based on the situation. But in order to get at the root of what these things are, we have to flip our mindset. We have to stop thinking of our vices as things to get rid of and rather replace them with things that better fulfill the needed function. Because one way or another, we will strive to have our needs met. And we will strive to meet all the functions of a human life. And that's not to say that we will try to do everything that a human can do, no. But everyone has needs, everyone has um, purpose, a sense of of duty towards certain things, and we're all going to strive to fulfill those functions. And if there are things that are not going well in our lives, it is probably because we are using something to fulfill a function that has a negative result or a negative outcome. And it takes backwards thinking to, you know, or or reverse engineering, you might say, to figure out what that means for you in your particular situation. Now, taking the flip side of this whole concept, 
can give us a little bit of an idea of how we might do preventative measures to keep us from um, running into the vices of our virtues. So a cheerful person, for example, uh, may easily run into the situation of not being a good listener simply because someone who is down trying to share their woes, the cheerful person is, is feeling inclined to say, oh, but don't worry, be happy, you know, in some measure. And maybe the person does need some cheering, but if it's at the expense of listening, then it's not necessarily a good thing. And by recognizing the, uh, that um, cheeriness, one of the flip sides of cheeriness, can be insincerity or lack of listening or something to that effect, then we can be aware of it up front so that when an opportunity to listen comes up, we can say, whoop, hold back. I'm so tempted to say, you know, don't worry, be happy, or you just need to pick me up, and we can actually listen and learn to, we don't have to squelch that, uh, that attribute, but rather we can just set it aside for a moment, or at least give the opportunity for other attributes to take the stage for the moment. And believe me, when the person is ready for a pick-me-up, they will come to you if you're a cheerful person. They will. Especially if you proved that you're also able to listen and show compassion. And one of the reasons I bring this up is because I have been thinking for some time now about a new approach to the personality profile. Now, we've talked a little bit about the Enneagram. We still have more of that to discuss. We've um, talked briefly, in passing anyway, about some of the other personality profiles and, you know, the color code, Myers-Briggs, all that kind of stuff. And, and they all, all provide some level of, of insight into each other's personalities. But one of the things that most of them lack, and, and the Enneagram is a bit of an exception, but it's, it feels a little bit obscure in its, you know, it's, it doesn't feel like a direct correlation kind of a situation. You know, when they say sevens go to one in stress, and so this is how they deal with stress. It's, it's almost more like a, you know, self-reflective thing um, and trying to withhold some level of that or maybe using it to our advantage or whatever. Whereas it's not really a way of, I don't know, I guess there's ways of dealing with issues from a positive point of view. But with this, I would like to develop some sort of personality uh assessment type of thing that uh, that takes on both the positive and the negative and recognizing it re- recognizes it as a fluid thing you're not a this you're not a that you are presently here and in the past you were there and maybe learning to 
develop your personality, develop your attributes. Maybe that's what it could be focused on is attributes um, and vices and to turning vices into attributes, not just, you know, swapping out, you know, the, the bad things for the good things, but rather seeing what it is that the bad things are doing and finding something healthy to fulfill its function and then by so doing becoming a better more well-rounded and easier to get along with person so if you have any ideas or insights any thoughts on that i would love to hear from you my email is chas chas at willowrise.com that's w-i-l-l-o-w r-i-s-e dot com chaz at willarise.com email me i want to hear your thoughts and once again thank you so much for listening mm-hmm.